whatever day you're listening to this, this is Gen Z's Guide to Politics, and my name is Pauline, and I'm with my other wonderful co-host, Rachel. Yes, here we are, Gen Z's Guide to Politics. We're so happy to have you here. We love to talk about politics, history, how to be an involved citizen within your community. So today we are talking a little bit about history, but first... If you've been a consistent follower of the podcast, you know that we used to post like pretty consistently on like Fridays, like that day of the week and everything. But as of the summer, we've been like a little bit inconsistent with our posting and we're here to tell you all about why. So we're doing a little a little update. I was talking actually to my barista yesterday when I went to like go get my coffee, my little my little treat that gets me through the day because if I don't have a little treat every few hours I will deteriorate you know how it is I'm like a dog (laughs) yes yeah literally (laughs) so I went to go get like you know my coffee and I was like oh hey like you know how are you doing and she was like yeah you know I'm I'm doing well but it's been like a crazy kind of weird day and I was like yeah it's been like something is wrong with the stars right like I was like it's the vibes have been off lately and she was like yeah no there's definitely there's got to be something going on I was like yeah we're about to go into Venus retrograde yes so there's our you know must be our answer I do most of like the editing and everything with or I do like all of the audio editing and then I do some video editing for TikTok when I like cut clips from this And Pauline does a little bit of like TikTok video editing and stuff too, which is great. But in terms of like sound editing, which is of course the bulk of what takes the time of the podcast to do, that is up to me. So as a result of that, um, and you know, we record like these episodes, usually like we try to record a week or a couple days in advance. So I usually am pretty, pretty good about like, you know, keeping myself on that deadline but um, recently, there's been a lot going on in my world. I've had a couple new projects that I've worked on. Um, I haven't really talked about it on the podcast that much, but I recently got my first off-Broadway work. Yeah, oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, I got my first like off-Broadway job and um, I was working with a actually a very close friend of mine on their play and it was such a fun project um so many of my like favorite people to work with were involved in it and we had such a good time but I was doing the costuming and also some like dramaturgical work which is research and stuff yeah so (laughs) yeah no but I am like if you didn't know um and I should have probably said this beforehand but I am, you know, I went to school for theater and like playwriting specifically. So I'm a theater artist and that's like, you know, that's like the work that I really love to do and strive to do. So um, it was really cool and it was really fun. And thank you for the support from my wonderful co-host there who's been so awesome about our flexible schedules. So Pauline's wonderful, but... (laughs) (laughs) And then additionally, actually right after that was finished... I ended up getting a second project that I'm working on now, and I'm currently directing a play with the same playwright, and it's going to be my New York directing debut, which is also 
so fun. It's going to be so awesome. Um, we're actually the day of recording. We're have we have our our first tech rehearsal. It's going to be a doozy um, today because I'm also commuting into New York. I live a little bit farther out of the city than I used to, so it's going to be a lot of juggling for the time being. But um, as much as that's you know, time consuming and everything, it is very exciting and exhilarating and I'm happy to be doing it. But, you know, additionally, among the the happy, exciting things that are happening, there's, you know, there's ebbs and flows in everybody's experience. So recently, actually, I think a couple, well, a couple days ago, actually, at this point of recording, my boyfriend, (laughs) poor thing, he was getting up and we had bought a new bed frame, right? Um, and so he was getting up um, pretty early in the morning. It was still dark. And we didn't realize there was like kind of a edge of the bed that was like, I don't know. It's just a very sharp edge on this bed. And I don't know how, and he's not really sure how. Somehow, yeah, he unfortunately hurt his foot on this like edge of the bed. And it was pretty pretty gnarly injury uh which doesn't sound like it could be but i'm yeah i don't want to describe it graphically for this podcast but anyway so just know that it was it was kind of a significant thing and we had to get that fixed and so it's also on his foot so currently i'm also helping him with driving and with like heavy lifting and everything oh my um, god <laughs> yeah You're like but um but yeah anyway so it was pretty pretty gnarly um to say the least so yeah and he's also in this play um that I'm directing now so that was also another concern we had so as a result um we had been dealing with that and everything I've also been sick like twice in the past two weeks um working with kids i think it's you know i'm i'm a tutor so i think it's bound to happen but uh that's my day job when i'm not doing theater so lots going on for co-host rachel which is the hat i'm wearing right now but as a result i've been yeah not having as much time to sit down and edit long episodes and everything so that's why the releases have been a little bit slower than usual but I think we're at a point where we're starting to get a little bit back on track. Um, and, you know, we're always going to get them out. They might be a little bit like slower. They might come on different days, but we will get them out to you guys because we love doing it. We love making the podcast. So and yeah, we're always available on TikTok and Instagram at Gen Z's Guide to Politics if you uh, need to know. <laughs> but all one word, you can go follow us and check us out there. So but anyway, enough about me and my wild experience uh, in Venus retrograde. Tell me about tell me about what's been going on for you, Pauline. Let's let's chat about you. Tell me about you. My life has been a little less exciting. Um, so for I don't know if I really talked about it on the podcast or not, but so I have to go to trauma therapy, and um, essentially I do specifically EDMR or EMDR. I'm not going to talk about it. If you want to know what it is, Google it. No offense. I just didn't want to talk about it. Um, and and <laughs> I'm entering a new relationship and my life has been what feels like the best roller coaster ever. And it's kind of crazy because this is the first time I think I've been happy, like pursuing someone 
in such a long time. And I'm such an anxious, like not anxious wreck. I'm just autistic, but I'm like hyper autism. So like, if I really like what's going on, I'm like, do you want to hear about this this bizarre animal I know about? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> we live day, for the info dumps. Yes. I got, I got really excited, and I was like, "Do you want? Did you know that kangaroos are marsupials?" I was telling this to one of my friends who is ADHD, and she was just like. Pauline, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I just really needed you to know about this kangaroo. <laughs> and I was like, I love kangaroos because they're always like, come on, come get me, come on. Like, they're just so angry. And I love them. And I would be angry too if I had a fleshy pouch. Like, I, I guess I do have a fleshy pouch, but I would be more angry if I could just slide things into it like a grocery bag. Do you know how mad I'd be? <laughs> I I hate that. Thank Ariana's like, thank you, next. <laughs> And then I also, I started um, taking classes to get into grad school because I have two more classes I have to finish before the fall semester. And so like where my life hasn't been like super busy, I've just been, I've just been like moving a lot. So like, if you're like, they're, they're, they're not as active. That is why um, I need to get my life together, which is what I plan on doing this weekend <laughs> is get my life together. It's, it's uh, I made a to-do list and I, I adore the person I'm talking to and that I'm talking to right now because I go, oh my God, I'm so excited for today. I made a to-do list and it's so long and beautiful and I can't wait to finish it. And she goes, I love lists. They are so amazing. And I was like, (laughs) this sounds like a perfect match and I'm so excited for it. We, when the time is right, will have to have them on the podcast I think that would be so fun um and oh my god we could do we could bring my partner on and your partner on and we could have like a huge conversation that would be so fun that would be so fun um (laughs) but anyway so that is so exciting Pauline like about your partner thank you for listening into our little life updates we are so excited you know to to be here again to be talking about it so today we're going to be talking about you know a little bit of a, a history lesson I would say but also like this is still relevant now like this is definitely still something that people I think will benefit from hearing especially because like I don't think we talk about it enough in like in a public context if that makes sense like I feel like there's a lot and there has been a lot of shame around this topic so even though it's getting better I think it's still important for us to like talk about it and bring it to light yeah I think it's also something that a lot of people don't realize still affects people and I think they also don't realize some of the rhetoric that kind of gets thrown around and like how that rhetoric might be hurting queer people uh, we're talking about HIV today and the AIDS virus and the HIV virus. Um, well, not the AIDS virus, the HIV virus. Um, but we will kind of give you a warning when we get to more of the emotional aspect of it, because we're going to talk about the science aspect of it first. I think a great thing just to start off with, right, is 
what is this illness in the sense of like, how does it develop? What does it look like? So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So HIV, also known as the human deficiency virus, is a virus that viciously attacks your immune system, um, specifically your T cells. Over time, your T cells will be so heavily um, deteriorated that they can't fight against other diseases and infections. This will eventually lead to acquired immune deficiency, which is where we hear the term AIDS from, because a lot of times when you hear HIV, you also go, oh, hey, that's AIDS. Um, this is also the most extreme form of HIV. So let's say you're infected with HIV, it's not going to immediately turn into AIDS. It slowly gets there. So people who have AIDS are more vulnerable to things like cancer and bronchitis. And when you get to this point of having AIDS, it's when getting a common cold is super serious and like deadly. And it's why we still see like a lot of people who like have HIV and who have AIDS. Like it's why you still see so many people like sometimes wearing masks too, because where these things might not be incredibly deadly to somebody who has a healthy immune system, they are deadly to somebody who doesn't have a healthy immune system. So that's really important to think about. Um, the virus can be transferred between blood, semen, vaginal fluids, and anal fluids, as well as breast milk. So usually where people get HIV from is unprotected sex, um, unclean needles, and like birth. So a mother is infected with HIV and then gives birth to a child. The child usually is born with HIV. It's not like contagious in the sense of like you can get it. I'm going like... to cough on you. Right. Like, no. It's not like that. Like, like, you know, if you have like a cold or whatever and your germs are getting somewhere, you know, it's something that is something like it's an issue with somebody's immune system with their body um so yeah and there was there was this giant like misconception so when i first learned about hiv was in sixth grade so jesus christ that would have been nine-ish years ago um so we're talking like 2012 2013 ish we were that hiv was transmitted through saliva that is not true like one of our teachers messed up on what they were saying and they they said that HIV was transmitted through saliva. That is so incorrect. Mm -hmm. So like that that saying that I know so many if you grew up in the south I know you had to hear it like oh that gay person gay people have HIV don't let them cough on you you'll get it you'll get AIDS. It does not work that way. Mm -hmm. You're not just going to be in vicinity of somebody who has AIDS and then get AIDS. And it's such a rude thing to say because nobody who has HIV is just going or just being like, I want to give this to the world. I think that that is a, a good point that that's kind of a misconception that like, you know, people are like people who have STDs also, whether you, you know, I think there's like two kind of misconceptions here, right? Um, that we can talk about one being that like you know specifically during the times that that AIDS was so significant that like gay men were dirty or like drug users were dirty diseased people and like that sort of idea and then there were also like there were if you like and we've talked about this in a few of our queer history episodes I'm so sorry to cut you off Rachel um go off queen back in the 1980s and back in the 1990s there was so much violence I'm talking beating men and beating trans people so close to death or to death because they had AIDS 
And it also is, I think, very similarly to where this idea uh, or the saying came from of like, don't go around that person. They'll give you the gay. Doesn't work that way. And it's also like nobody, nobody asked for AIDS. Nobody asked for HIV. Like it was just a scary time. The 80s was a was a terrifying time. It's terrifying. <laughs> for for queer people, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about, you know, where this virus comes from. HIV came from SIV, which is similar to HIV, but in monkeys and apes. Chimps or chimpanzees hunt and consume smaller breeds of monkeys that carry SIV, which later would infect them with two types of SIV, which would later mix and create SIV-CPZ, which would spread between chimps and humans. Now, despite, and I say despite because a lot of, you know, HIV negative rhetoric also was in like pop culture in the 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s and some of the 2010s. Um it most likely jumped between humans when hunters would eat chimps in Africa. So if you've ever seen somebody who's like hunting like a giraffe and then they kill them, they typically eat the meat. So realistically what happened is a hunter came, like came and killed a chimp, ate the chimp because that was the meat that was around the area. Like if there was a cow, you would have eaten the cow. Um, so yeah you want to use everything that that definitely makes sense yeah it's the same scientists hypothesize that this led to the outbreak in the 1920s because hiv existed before the 80s um in the congo later um history.com states in the 1960s hiv spread from africa to haiti and then to caribbean when haitian professionals in the colonial democratic republic of congo returned home the virus then moved to the caribbean to new york city around 1970 and then to san francisco later in the decade so despite what many people believe hiv was around for a long time um before some of the media publishings in 19 in the 1980s stated And I think in the 80s, like, that's such a fair point that it was painted as, like, oh, this is a gay disease. Like, this is a disease because of, like, that's inherently linked to, like, being gay or being queer uh, or trans or, like, what have you. And that's not true. Like, that's not a reasonable association to make because, like, the disease itself has nothing to do with homosexual and it's not like you can't get it if you're straight like you hurt tons of women like you can still get it if you're straight it doesn't discriminate against like you know anybody can get it so um there was this giant misconception oh my god story time there was this (laughs) giant misconception that so i have this family member that and i've talked about this a couple times and his partner had aids and so all of our cousins who are 20 years younger than him, because our grandmother told us, if you touch him, you'll get AIDS, thought he had AIDS. He was like, no, my dead husband had AIDS. He's dead. I I, I don't have I don't have HIV. Like he was just as bewildered as we were. And we were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he was like, it wasn't your guys' fault, but I'm gonna kill my mother. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like like that was a misconception that was passed down generationally like mm-hmm. hiv is a very serious thing and when we treat these very serious things like jokes it's how people get hurt 
I guess, yeah, the equivalent of that is like, I mean, it's just a falsehood. I guess like, yeah, just like these, it's, it's kind of like you get an idea in your head instead of and you form logic around the idea instead of like using logic to get to an idea if that makes sense it's really this idea you know let me build this worldview around this idea and this perception instead of building a puzzle getting given one puzzle piece and saying build the puzzle yeah (laughs) yeah and then you're like pulling random shit to like try to fit in with the puzzle piece and you're like god damn it this would be so much easier if i had the rest of the 500 pieces of this fucking puzzle like the 499 pieces but and that's like i think why it's so important to talk about the science and the truth about like what it is and how it how it started and where it came from and like how it is past because like it's important when you're stopping and trying to stop and prevent those sorts of misconceptions. So, so we've talked a little bit about like public misconceptions around AIDS and HIV and everything, some of which we've, you know, heard ourselves and whatnot. But I think that we should talk about how this affected queer people also in the sense of like the, the physical and like, you know, everyday experience of somebody um, who was queer and living in the 80s during the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, so in 1981, um, the CDC made a public report about how five homosexual men had been affected by a strain of pneumonia, which usually never harms people with uncompromised immune systems. And then in the following year, 1982, the New York Times published an article that said, new immune system disorder, which by that time had, oh, sorry, that's a quote, um, which by that time had affected 335 people um, and it had killed 136 of them. So, and then because of the disease appeared to affect mostly homosexual men, officials initially called it the gay-related immune deficiency or GRID. This caused um, especially gay men and trans people to experience heavy discrimination and violence. Like I had mentioned before, like there were death killings of queer people because they were queer, which could have easily been prevented if they had just had a slight like language change. And they, for one, didn't specify that they were homosexual. And they just said five men had been affected. And then they just didn't mention that it was gay, like that those men happened to be gay because it was completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like also why I feel like they shouldn't have been allowed. Like that would be something that I don't and at the time, of course, it was totally different, right? Like, you know, the context is not the same as when we're living in today's era. But I'm like thinking about like patient confidentiality Patient confidentiality is is kind of a funny thing. Mm -hmm. So they didn't mention names of who got affected. They didn't mention birthdays. They didn't mention physical appearances. They just said five gay men. Right. So, yeah, I guess that that and I guess sexual orientation definitely would not have been protected under that. There was also, you have to think, and it's not something that I love to talk about, but it is something that needs to be taken into consideration, that back in the 80s and 90s, and even before that, people who were queer were seen as, like, a medical curiosity, because why 
why are men being attracted to other men? Because everything, right? Like, and you're hearing like everything that uh, like that we've been taught and whatnot around this time says that like you have sex with a woman to reproduce. <laughs> like that is that's that's what it is. That's that's how we get down. And it's also it was a time that like people who thought they were trans were a mental disorder. And like you could get sent to a like a medical hospital for that. And just a couple years before that, women were getting sent to mental hospitals for liking other women and being forced to have orgasms while looking at men, like getting held down to have orgasms. So it was just a weird time. And it was a time that queerness wasn't seen as an okay thing. Yeah, that's definitely very true. I think, yeah, just being gay was seen as, yeah, like literally like an illness of your brain, like something wrong with you. So that's totally, that's a great point, Pauline, that yeah, that would not have been under the protections at the time. There's nothing wrong with queerness. Like we know that as two queer people, Mm -hmm. like, and like queerness is still something that's trying to be like explained now. Mm -hmm. Like there are still people who like research why queer people are queer but the best explanation that researchers and scientists have gotten is it's just how it's just how their brain works and they it's like a human thing it's like part of being being a human is that you might be straight or you might not be and like we have seen that in other animals and mammals and stuff and like and also not to mention there are plenty of animals that like change their genders for various you know different like functions and biological reasons as well so like to me well and like trans people are beautiful and there's nothing wrong with what they're doing exactly if you can't say that nature's wrong how can you say that queer people are wrong exactly so i think you know we've talked about like of course you know how and there have been different like i think epidemics of aids and different waves of it showing up and happening throughout history especially within american context um and whatnot so we've talked a little bit about like um the 80s and how there was a huge epidemic going on during the 80s and that period of time was focused a lot around you know gay people and everything and so so I think we should talk a little bit about why um, at the time, you know, and even like still in a sense, right, why queer people, you know, are perceived to were perceived this way, right, or some factors that could make people who are queer more at risk just because of some of the other like disparities and struggles that they may have from like a socioeconomic standpoint, if that makes sense. So like, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about like statistics, risk factors, and elaborating on that and whatnot. So, and um, uh, like a little, like a little PSA, a little warning here. Um, I will be talking about sexual soul and needles and stuff, um, in a more like in detail sense. So, if you're not okay with that, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, take but, care of yourself. We love you. <laughs> um, so queer people just very similar to people of color are at a higher risk of homelessness, which can be led back to the fact that employers back in the 80s and 90s and 70s would discriminate against queer people openly. And it wasn't necessarily legal then, but nobody was really doing anything to stop it. And it actually now is legal. 
business owners can discriminate against queer people and tell them to get out uh, due to a new Supreme Court ruling, which means that queer people are at a higher risk to engage in activities accidentally or on purpose that can lead to things that cause HIV. This is because, so let's say that a queer person is homeless and then they like need needles because they need morphine or they are, you know, doing drugs. doesn't matter why somebody is doing what they're doing because at the end of the day, you can't make the decisions for them, but you can give them access to things that can keep them healthy, like, like clean needles. So it is really hard to get clean needles in some places. So a lot of times needles get reused and you can't clean them. So sometimes homeless people will, or even drug addicts will reuse needles and that you can get HIV that way. Um, it's also harder to get clean condoms when you're homeless. It's harder to get condoms at all when you're homeless. And, you know, this is one of the biggest reasons that me and Rachel are constantly talking about harm reduction, because it definitely should be taught to young people and people all over, because it can literally save somebody's life. Um, Also, queer people are much more likely to turn to sex work in unsafe environments, um, especially, you know, 40 years ago around when the HIV pandemic really started, which can lead to things such as being injected with an unclean needle or being raped. Because it's not like every person who's using an unclean needle is putting it in themselves. Because back in the 80s and 90s, there were tons of people who got, like, injected with, like, heroin or morphine and didn't know what they were being injected with, would get sexually assaulted, and then would get hooked on drugs that way. That was a common thing. And then also, like, rape happens so often in unprotected sex work. It's it's one of the reasons that sex workers and other people, including myself, is constantly, constantly preaching that if sex work was something that was under government like jurisdiction, people would be safer because they would be. And just like states that have legal marijuana, it's safer because their marijuana isn't being tainted with things like fentanyl mm-hmm. versus like in states where it isn't legal. Um, as well as many queer people are somewhat anxious to get tested openly because of anti-LGBTQ discrimination, which can lead to like a delay of treatment. So let's say you finally work up the nerve of getting tested after having sex for six or seven years, and then you find out you have HIV. It's really scary. That That is really scary. As well as more queer, queer people um, were infected because the government had a ton of, they didn't really fund these like programs for research and for cures um, for years. It wasn't until like the past like 15 years that more treatment has come up. We've come a long way in terms of like treating AIDS and HIV and like also prevention, preventing like AIDS and HIV. Um, at this point in time, like we have medications that are available. This drug, right? This drug is called pre-exposure prophylaxis, or it's also called PrEP. You may have heard of it through the short name PrEP, but this is the medicine that's essentially taken to prevent HIV. And that's a quote from the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And so when you take it, when you get prescribed PrEP and then, you know, you take it, you know, it reduces the risk by about 99%. And it also can reduce the risk of getting HIV from inje- injection drug use by at least 74%, which is also a quote from the Center for Disease Control. So if you you know, are in a position where you may need PrEP, we highly encourage you to look into it, look into getting tested if need be. 
you know, or if you are sexually active, because this can be a life-saving like intervention sort of treatment and kind of drug um, and everything. And it's not a hundred percent, you know, it doesn't work a hundred percent of the time, but it does have a very, a pretty, you know, high percentage of being successful and working. So that's a great thing. But additionally, um, oh, no, no, you're so fine. I was just going to say, but additionally, we have also medicines that we can use to treat um, and help stop the progression of AIDS and HIV and everything. There are there are things that can help um, and there are things that can help in a prevention sense and in an after the fact sort of sense. So. Um, yeah. And I wanted to, I'm bringing this up because as a gay woman, as a lesbian, there were, there were things that I didn't know about that I did not know that there is technically like an STD um, prevention for women so there is something called laurels, which can protect you from STIs. And it is like a dental dam. Like it's made out of the same material, but it's actually a little bit thinner. And you just slide it over your lady bits. That's all you do. I love that we're getting a little bit of extra like education here. Because honestly, like I think that sharing our experiences with one another about things that work for us, like that's such a helpful form of sex ed, you know, with, you know, get it from the right people get it from people you trust but i trust pauline um so and yeah like i think it's always worth it to you know look into maybe forms of birth control or contraceptives that you haven't heard of if you didn't learn a lot about sex ed in school and you are going to be sexually active it's important to look into it um and you know learn about it so and don't be afraid it's it's okay Uh, yeah Um, no, it, it totally is okay. And if you like are a like a gay or bisexual man or like, you know, whatever it is, don't be afraid to use condoms. Um, and there are different types of condoms. You know, there's lambskin condoms <laughs> if your partner or you. Oh my god, I wish everybody could see Rachel's face. It's made out of lamb intestine. Um, but it's, it's people who's allergic. I was going to say um, they also, as a vegan, it's true that they do have condoms that use like animal intestines or sometimes like gelatin um, or whatever. But even if you're vegan, they have vegan condoms. So there's never an excuse. If some vegan dude is wants to bone, you tell him that there's vegan condoms, buddy. Put one on. Um, but with the Titan XL. I just looked yes. up vegan condoms. I'm sorry. The pink I haven't used condoms in so long. I feel like I don't know the lingo. No, I I mean, yeah. So with that being said, we can talk a lot about like statistics. We can talk about like numbers and science and whatnot. But I think it's also important to recognize how huge this crisis in the 80s was to the queer community. We talked before on the podcast about how it doesn't always feel like we have a lot of like older queer people to look up to, whether it be in the media, in our everyday lives, um, people we know. There sometimes it feels like there just isn't as many people, and I feel like there is sometimes a sense or a sentiment. Excuse me, I feel like sometimes there's a sentiment about like, oh, like kids now are just like gay. Everybody now is like becoming gay, but. 
That's not true. And part of that is because of the AIDS crisis um, that happened in the 80s and was so substantially detrimental to queer people and the queer community. So this is from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, again, and prevention, um, should say their full title, but from 1981 through 1990, 100,777 deaths among persons with acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS, were reported to the CDC by local, state, and territorial health departments. Almost one-third of these deaths, which would be about 31,196, were reported during 1990. So that is a huge amount of people, um, you know, between, okay, yeah. So that's like a huge amount of people, a hundred thousand people within that span of time. That's so many queer people, queer men, trans people, um, you know, people who fell victim to this disease and because there was such a lack of response from the government they couldn't get help there was no treatment and they were shunned and ignored um while they were dying and um you know i think living in new york right when i went to school in new york and i went to theater school so like real talk i had a lot of gay professors i did i had a lot of queer and gay professors because most of schools <laughs> Yes, but like I like I went to theater school in New York, you know what I mean? So I had a, a few gay professors, like quite a few, and a number of them, right? Many of them talked about the impact of the AIDS crisis and how for them it was like a fear of being close to one another sometimes. It was a fear of being who you were. Um, it was a fear of being gay in public, like we said, because of the violence and like, am I going to go outside and somebody's going to see me and hurt me? Um, is somebody looking for me and wants to hurt me? Um, and the, the like way that the government ignored the problem, right. That was happening. Um, it caused a lot of lives to be lost and so, you know, people who live during that time who are a part of the queer community and who are still here today, they oftentimes will experience a lot of survivor's guilt because it's like, why was I spared? So many people were getting it. Why didn't I get it? And why did, you know, why did my partner get it? Why did my friend get it? Um, and it happens, like, if you don't get treatment, um, sometimes it can be, especially if you have pre-existing conditions, um, it can be a very painful, painful uh, way to die. And it's truly a shame um, that it took so long for the government to respond, but say enough. So, okay. And, you know, people have talked, we can talk and make another episode kind of a part two maybe about the response because I think that's kind of like it is a kind of a beast to tackle and tell the story of and I want to do it justice um I think Pauline and I both do the National Library of Medicine right um they <laughs> they are like an official government website and they have literally made 
articles, right? They've written articles and have done research about how the response to AIDS was insufficient. It was uncoordinated. And because it was seen as a gay disease, the presidents at the time, right? Like Ronald fucking Reagan, it like wasn't seen as anything important to him. He didn't think it was important and he didn't care or value queer people's lives. So because of that, a lot of people lost their lives. And I just think that's so horrible and sad. But I think that that could be a good a a good part two for us to make because again um we've talked a lot about uh about a lot of stuff today and i am happy that we've had the conversation that we've had i think it's been a good one so with that being said pauline do you think it's time to close out our episode what do you think yeah i think so i hope you guys have a great day though (laughs) yeah thank you for sticking around and chatting with us Check out the description for this podcast and everything. We're going to provide a couple links about uh, resources and whatnot and things that we can look into, read about, um, but ways to just make yourself more aware and everything. And if you're interested in hearing more and learning more about this topic, as well as lots of other things around queer history, the queer experience, politics history you know in a general sense um you can go follow our socials and those are at gen z's guide to politics on tiktok and instagram so we hope you guys have had a fun time listening it's been a little bit of a heavy topic today but i'm glad that we are talking about it i think it's important to talk about so definitely an incredible an incredibly educational episode though like it was it was a nice little lesson very I think it was a very nice history lesson too like it was a sad history lesson but it was a good one yes a very needed history lesson for sure yeah so all right guys be here be queer or be square we'll see you next week